From Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders and those creating news before it happens. Only on the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the new Blue Review. Welcome to the program on this Monday morning. Hope that you are having a great one out there. A little bit warmer, I have to say, than our previous Monday, which is not a terrible thing uh, either. So I hope that you are keeping warm and are doing well and uh, are, are ready for a jam-packed Cracker Jack show because that is what we like to bring uh, to you, because that's what we do here on the New Blue Review. Now, what have we got on the show? Well, that is a different story. At about 20 to 10, as we always do, checking to Rob Hutchinson uh, about what is going on in Parliament, and uh, we'll be finding out about presidential residencies and all sorts of things like that. Uh but first off, we're going to be talking about something which, unfortunately, you can always talk about. If you need a show and you need to talk about something, uh, you, you can always rely on this topic reliably uh, to have a discussion. And uh, that is the question of anti-Semitism, because it is always around and often around. But instead of just mouthing off about it, we, we're going to have a chat to a fully-fledged expert on the topic, because the other day I was in Cape Town International Airport, and I was looking at all the shelves uh, that were there and all the books, and what was like number one or two, I think, on the top reading list? Well, none other than fascists, fabricators, and fantasists, anti-Semitism in South Africa from 1948 to the present, which is a final volume in a trilogy of anti-Semitism in South Africa, which is written by uh, Professor Milton Shane, who is uh, Emeritus Professor of Historical Studies at the University of Cape Town. And he has co-authored and co-edited dozens of books on South African Jewish history, politics, and the history of anti-Semitism, including uh, several previous books, uh, which have been part of the trilogy, including a perfect storm, uh, as well as, um, as 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 well as uh, a, a number of others, such as the roots of anti-Semitism in in South Africa, and a whole many more that you really um, couldn't even <laughs> begin to talk about because he has covered them so much. And so he is the man that is worth talking to. Milton, welcome to the show. It did occur to me that maybe seeing a book about anti-Semitism of the shelves in exclusive books might mean that the anti-Semites thought they were correct. Well, uh, thank you, Benji, for inviting me. <laughs> I, um, it certainly is a question. South Africa It's a question worldwide and, and worth exploring, and I, I hope I've done that. What was the impetus behind uh, a three-part a three part series uh, in anti-Semitism? Why did you decide to cover it in, in that particular way? Benji, about 40 years ago, I was working on politics in the Western Cape, the Cape Province, or the old Cape Colony as it was. And I came across hitherto unseen cartoons of Jews and a whole range of anti-alien stuff filled with anti-Semitic stereotypes and tropes. And this hadn't been unearthed. 
and I began to dig further and I really looked at the historiography and saw that it was all accidental in the previous historiography and we only had a Jewish problem, which everyone acknowledged, in the 1930s and early 40s. But going back, I saw the evolution and traced it for a, a study which took the story to 1930, which was when the Quota Act effectively excluded East European Jews coming to South Africa and had a long history. And importantly, it was supported, that's the Quota Act, across the board of white political parties. So why did this happen? That got me into the whole evolution of anti-Semitism in South Africa. And what I find fascinating on, on, on the, just on the quota act there, just to go down that path for a, a moment, Northern, is that it was based on the idea of, of, of Asiatics, right? So Jews were being excluded from, from South Africa in the thirties by, as you say, these white parties because not for the sort of reasons that you might think of today, but because they were so-called Asians, which is, is, is quite, uh, unusual, and I've been told, although I haven't gone deeply into it, that our entire regime, that even today we we understand when we think about xenophobia and excluding people from South Africa, different laws. Basically, that was the start of it in the 1930s. Was this exclusion of Jews uh, and Indians uh, from from South Africa under these under these quota acts? It's not quite right. It's in 1902 the Cape Colonies Immigration Act stop people coming in who couldn't sign their names in a European language. Okay, so and it was thought that this was directly aimed against Asiatics, which it was, but it was well known that Eastern European Jews would also be caught in that vice. So that's when they had the sort of notion of Asiatics. The Asiatic question persisted with a whole range of legislation in the early 20th century. The 1930 Quota Act was based very much on the notion of the Nordic character of South Africa. It was modeled on the American 1924 Reed Johnson Act, which also limited the number of Jews coming from Eastern Europe to a quota. And uh, South Africa borrowed that very effectively. But if you go through the 1920s, there's great concern that the Eastern European Jew is of a different culture, not suited to our circumstances, not part of the native peoples, i.e., in this sense, the Afrikaans and English-speaking peoples, and was an outsider and by then fully racialized as an other with their own immutable, inherent tendencies. Which, of course, became a bit of a a, a problem for this kind of law later on. They kind of had to make it more explicit because then, of course... Later, when you get into the 30s, then the German Jews start coming who don't fit into this category of, of the Eastern Europeans, and they have to become a little bit more explicit about who, who they want to exclude. That's very important. You've, you've hit on an important issue. When D.F. Malan, who was Minister of the Interior, introduced the Quote Act, he went out of his way to say this is not aimed at any particular religious group. It's aimed at people of Eastern and Southern Europe, so it wasn't only Jewish. The word Jew doesn't appear in the legislation, but it was aimed at the non-Nordic peoples. But of course, the proof was in the pudding when German Jew, Jewish refugees started arriving in the early 30s, following Hitler's ascent to power in 33. And that's when the truth was seen that these were Jews who were not supposedly Nordic, but now could not come. And there was legislation which did not mention Jews by name, but which 
focused on the notion of unassimilability. That became the word. These people were unassimilable, and effectively they stopped that refugee stream. Very, very interesting. We're talking to Milton Shane today. He's a professor emeritus of history at the University of Cape Town. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is 101.9 High FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Chai FM, talking to Milton Shane today. He is uh, Emeritus uh, Professor of History at UCT, and uh, we're talking about the issue of anti-Semitism. Now, Milton, you mentioned that sometimes in South Africa, or quite often perhaps, anti-Semitism is an imported phenomenon, comes from uh, uh, the Europeans or even the Americans, as you as you sort of mentioned previously. And it struck me that... In preparing, preparing, preparing for the show today, uh, that in America we had anti-Semitism coming from, almost from both sides of the aisle just this weekend. So, on the on the one hand, we had a member of the Progressive Caucus of um, of of uh, the left in 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 America. Uh, saying that uh, Israel's a racist state and uh, it needs to be boycotted. She's not going to attend the president of Israel's talk to Congress. Uh, and that was sort of more on the left. And although he's nominally on the left, this is actually, it's a kind of weird thing. It's something you, you tend to find on the right. But RFK Jr. saying that the COVID virus, um, was, was created and, and has the effect that it doesn't affect Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese, which is a very interesting combination. And so, I just wonder when you're talking about this affecting from from overseas both of these sorts of strains of anti-Semitism, and and if perhaps in your in your recent work you're seeing this kind of thing showing up in our South African context. It very much does show up. Um, anti-Semitism in the 30s and 40s was very much a white right-wing, extreme right-wing phenomenon, and uh, since 48, that right-wing didn't die immediately, but it, it certainly subsided substantially at a state level. But the notions that the whites were concerned about, Jewish subversion, communism being too liberal, that persisted with the right wing taking on board the protocols of the elders of Zion, Holocaust denial. But it was a minor phenomenon in the broader issue of South African politics, um, whereas in the 30s it had moved to the center. It's now largely dissipated. However, what happened subsequently is that the left has begun to see Jews as manipulating, and Israel or Jerusalem has, been become, has become the center of a global conspiracy. And here again, one sees the protocols of the elders of Zion used on the left, and one sees all sorts of notions of Jews running South African society, controlling the ANC, and it's remarkably similar to what we saw on the right. On the right, they pushed the idea of Jerusalem and Moscow being together right through the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. And now in more contemporary times, classical anti-Semitism or Jew hatred is not accepted. And we've got a culture that doesn't want to see classic hatred of anyone. And we've got Chapter 9 institutions to stop it. But that hasn't stopped the spread of the protocols of the elders of Zion and Holocaust denial on the left. And we saw it, of course, in Durban in 2001, where this all exploded into an anti-Jewish hate fest. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, interesting to see how how that that uh, that did happen uh, in in Durban. So, something I did uh, find interesting, and, and and maybe just want to pick up on a little bit briefly, is is around the in the run up to the early thirties. And I, I don't know if many of our community are actually aware of this. Was that at some point? You know, the Jews in South Africa, they used legal processes. There was a media stuff. But you also effectively had almost paramilitary units uh, being formed in, in Jewish society that would go out and literally beat up Nazi rallies in Cape Town, in, in Johannesburg, Benoni, all sorts of places. There was a, there was a kind of uh, – almost vigilante Jewish aspect to fighting anti-Semitism physically. This, of course, was before the State of Israel, so there were no armies or anything like that. But it, it's kind of interesting that there was also a physical response to the way that people decided that they would take on this issue. Yes, that was a response to the extreme right-wing movements like the Grey Shirts, which your listeners will recall, the elderly listeners if they're around. They would recall the Grey Shirts. There were a number of other far-right groups mushrooming in the 30s, and they would have meetings, people like Louis Weichart, and then later the Osvald Brandwacht, and particularly the communist left would take them on the city hall steps of Johannesburg in Cape Town on the Grand Parade. You're absolutely right. Uh, there was that sort of muscular Judaism responding to those attacks. But at the same time, the government didn't support these outrageous ideas. Um, a person like Ray Rudman, a grey shirt leader in the Tull, was labelled a lunatic by Jan Smuts. That sort of hatred was not accepted, but there was a call across the board to stop the unassimilable Jewish coming into Jewish uh, immigrant coming in, because they were corrupting society, they were dominating business, they were seen to be controlling the cities, and of course there was this clash as poor whites moved into the larger urban centres. The Jew became the symbol of the modern, the symbol of the city, which the unskilled rural farmer lost his land during social turmoil, found a, a convenient scapegoat. And that's uh, yeah, a very an interesting, interesting perspective. Why do you think after after the war that 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 sort of right, sort of very violent right wing anti-Semitism st- started to subside? Was because people were just not interested in being associated with Hitler, or uh, was it just other kinds of forces that were starting to, to to drive a different agenda? It's a good question, Benji. The Smuts didn't want Jews to come to South Africa after the war because they now had the prospect of going to Palestine and later Israel. That's the one side. The other side is that, of course, the Holocaust had ended the possibility of large numbers of Jews coming in. So the immigration problem of the 30s, the German Jewish refugees, which was much of the motor behind the hostility in the 30s, uh, had ended. The other thing was that uh, Malang became prime minister in 1948. The board of deputies had met with him just before and just after his election, and he was willing to put the Jewish question behind, behind them. Uh, there was a flare-up in the early 1960s when Israel was vocally supporting the African bloc against apartheid. And uh, that raised some tensions and some divisions in the Jewish community, but that soon ended by the late 60s. And then Israel and South Africa became uh, partners, uh, more or less sort of increasingly pariah states on the global stage. And that, of course, also gave ammunition to the left, which saw 
the, the links between apartheid, Pretoria and Jerusalem as hugely problematic. But the key question of why it subsided after 48 is that the, the Afrikaners, the ethno-nationalists who had really driven the anti-Semitic agenda in the 30s, these Afrikaners now found the political kingdom and the economic kingdom was to follow as they were upwardly mobile. And in fact, they, in many cases, uh, replicated the Jews with success in business and saw the Jews as valued entrepreneurs from whom they could learn much. Now, you, you talk about the, 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 the role of the 60s and the 70s, the connection between uh, Israel and the old government later on after they had started, uh, as you said, they started working on the African bloc side, but were sort of excluded out of that after 67 and more later 73. But there's been a lot of interesting history that's been done of, of late. I'm thinking uh, historians like Gil Troy and, and others who actually link what we now hear very often, this idea that Zionism is racism, which eventually became a uh, an actual resolution at the UN, that that was actually a strategy of the Soviet Union, that they used this as something to go after Israel as also a means of going after America and, and to get sort of third world groups uh, on their side. And, and you can draw a straight line almost from the activism uh, of that uh, in the 70s, almost into the 90s uh, and, and up into Durban in the 2000s when you have, have the racism have the racism conference. So it actually is a a, a lie with a a very long history to it. You're absolutely right. The Soviet Union was behind it. And in fact, the Soviet Union was very supportive of Israel being created in 47. And of course, confirmed in 48. But that line was used politically and cynically by the Soviet Union, had tremendous resonance in the third world, and it has not left us to this day. Even though the Zionism, racism was overturned by the UN in different political climates some years later, it still resonates, especially with the left, and we've seen this every day. And in fact, the Zionist question in South Africa is the new Jewish question. And uh, if you look at the public politics, if you look at the ANC in exile, um, they were always opposed to Zionism. They had a third world inclination. They were leaning that way. They had close ties with the Palestinians. They empathised with the Palestinians. Uh, that, that's uh, you know their choice. That's absolutely legitimate from their point of view. And on top of that, many of the communists were hostile to the idea of an ethnic state. It just didn't ring true that you have a Jewish state, even though it was the only Jewish state and it was relatively small. That was unacceptable. So there's this long history within uh, communist ideology that did not accept the ethnic state. Let's just go back for a second, Milton, because, you know, we're talking more than 20 years ago now. Um, I mean, I was just in high school when this happened. And and it's interesting as well that it happened very soon after 9-11. You had this attack on America via uh, Islamist extremists uh, who attacked the Twin Towers and almost at the same time, you had this attack on Israel at Durban. But it's almost something that we've forgotten about as a community. You sort of moved on. We have to fight other things. Uh, obviously, there's still things like BDS and whatever that are, are are being fought every day. But maybe give people some context because Durban 
in terms of really the new anti-Semitism, what you're talking about, Zionism, etc., that it really has its birth there in South Africa, in Durban, uh, all the things that we see on our campuses and the stupidity around Orlando Pirates that we saw last week, etc. It really has its birth in Durban. So maybe if you can take us back a bit and just give us a sense about what, what was that like why, and, and why did it happen? Well, if you look at the, the movement really pushing, it, it's the Muslim minority, less than 2% of South Africa, who've obviously got a vested interest in the Middle East in a way that, that others don't, Jews do, but a broader Christian community is not as invested in the Middle East. And the Muslim community had always seen the creation of Israel as a problem. It was just hidden because of the hermetic sealing of racial groups in South Africa. It was always hidden from the Jewish community. They, they seemed to believe they had a harmonious relationship with Muslims. But if you go back to the literature, you'll see in 48, the Muslim press is talking about Nakba, a catastrophe for the Muslims. But it was still pretty quiescent. The Muslim Judicial Council, the official voice of the Muslim community, um, didn't want disorder, and they sort of accommodated to the, the apartheid regime in their own way. The struggles were, were color-based. Uh, in the main, they were not considered white. They were opposed to apartheid, but they were quite quiet until a new group began to develop, uh, inspired possibly by the Imam Harun, who was murdered by the security police in 69, and then took off with the Iranian Revolution. You have the creation of Qibla in the late 70s with Ahmad Ghassin, who just passed away last week. Um, and you have learning circles and study groups and a much greater global input coming into South Africa and firing up and giving ideological impetus to the anti-Zionist movement. And the new generation uh, welcomed you know, the Zionism race and resolution of 75. Um, and by the early 90s, they were on the streets as President de Klerk had opened up South African society. But we saw this in advance at WITS. We saw it at uh, UCT in the early 80s, uh, following the Lebanese war, the Sabra-Shakila massacres. Uh, we saw this in a place like a university where this could happen, but not in our streets. Ten years later, it was all over the place, and uh, it has gained impetus all along. And in a global world, and a, and a globally connected world with the Internet, uh, this has become much more powerful and, and even insidious and dangerous. And coupled with that has come this fantasy thinking. That's the important thing. That's why my new book uses the word fantasists, because fantasy is arguably the hallmark of anti-Semitism, this belief in giant conspiracies, vast forces operating society, and uh, hopefully uh, one can read that in the book. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is, when we think about anti-Semitism today, maybe one of the big parts of it um, is this idea about fantasy. And whether it's on the right, uh, where you have people thinking that uh, – that viruses only affect some kinds of genetic groups uh, or on the left to have these kind of strange uh, ideas about uh, uh, the role of Israel as a kind of big, uh, scary state in the world. Uh, fantasy is actually an inability to grapple with the power structure as is, is basically, I would say, one of the hallmarks of the of, of anti-Semitic worldview. It's, it's prone to conspiracy oh, theory. Uh, I agree with that. Fantasy is the real feature of anti-Semitism. 
There's nothing rational about it. There's nothing to, to argue about. For example, with the early Christian era and the rise of the church, you could argue that there was a disagreement over the interpretation of texts. It was rational. It took on conspiratorial ideas and fantasy ideas in the Middle Ages when Jews were accused of, of kidnapping Christian children, using their blood for ritual purposes. There's a straight line from that to the infamous protocols of the elders of Zion from the early 20th century, concocted in, in the Tsarist Russia. But that's fantasy, and of course today one sees this all the time. So, Milton, tell us where you, where you feel South Africa is at the moment. Um, you know, we have... Well, on the question, mm. I don't think there's a Jewish question as such. Mm. It's arguable that there might be a white question. On the other hand, rainbowism, and the celebration of diversity is an enormously positive antidote to ethnic bigotry. But at the same time, the anti-Zionism is a mutation of anti-Semitism. And South African Jews have lived and will have to live with a more or less wall-to-wall uh, disagreement with the Zionist idea. Having said that, the only survey we had by Pew in 2007, showed that the silent majority were more supportive of the Jewish state than of the Palestinian cause. That might come as a surprise to listeners, but at a silent level, it's there. But the intellectuals, the government, and so forth, we can hear it every day that the, the Jewish state is treated as a as a pariah. So I was going to ask you that um, uh Milton, I mean, I mean, first of all, what's interesting about that Pew survey that you mentioned is is that it's pre the social media era, and I just wonder what the effects of Twitter and Facebook and all of these may very well have had on 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 the general public in in this regard. But you know, at UCT, there's been research that says, for example, that I can't remember the number. It's like seventy five or seventy eight percent of of in this particular case. Uh, black South Africans who live in cities ha- weren't even aware that there is an actual war going on in Israel between the Israelis and the Palestinians. So it does show you that there isn't like a broad connection along this issue. That, that's very true. But the, it's, it's the chattering class hmm. and the opinion formers and university scholars who are very logged in to this post-Zionist uh, view, to an uh, anti-Western, knee-jerk, pro-third-worldism view. The South is the term today. So the people who make the moves are generally hostile to the idea of a Jewish state and have been for a long time. But how much of this is really just connected to the ANC, Milton? I mean, uh, we, the, as the ANC starts to die, uh, are we likely to see that this... Not that it will dissipate as a discourse, but be dissipated as an effective discourse uh, in, uh, in 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 South African society. I think if Israel doesn't prove a wedge issue in elections, uh, it'll wear up from time to time. But it won't be central. Of course, we've got huge problems in this country, but sometimes they deflect those problems and driven by certain quarters to focus on on Jerusalem. But. Uh, the ANC itself, uh, I'm afraid it has long resisted the Zionist idea. It even talks of, um, it's not anti-Semitic, but there are two types of Jews. There's Zionist Jews, of which we want nothing to do with them. 
and then the other Jews of whom we greatly admire. And that's been said, and you'll read about it in the book if you have a chance. Uh, one last question, I mean, it, just on that. Um, the the idea of Zionism being completely antithetical to ANC, I mean, at the beginning it certainly wasn't. If you look, there were Zionists that were part of the ANC. They they used Zionist texts for certainly formed Mandela's thinking on, on a lot of things. So it, at some point it must have shifted. You, you're absolutely right, and it shifted globally. I mean, Israel was the darling nation, was supported in the UN, not just by the West, but by many third world countries. Obviously, there was lobbying and so forth, but it was seen as a legitimate national liberation movement. That's what Zionism is. Nothing more, nothing less. You can argue about policies of the Israeli state, and people do argue all the time, but the idea of a national home for the Jewish people in the ancestral home was widely accepted. And uh, the David and Goliath battle of 67 saw a huge part of the globe supportive of the Jewish cause. Of course, the occupation since then and the inability to resolve the problem and create alongside Israel a Palestinian state, that's, that's ongoing and that's fueled the issue. So to put it simply, Zionism is a, is a 19th century ethno-national movement which in a sense has been caught offsides in the 21st century. Milton, thank you so much. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, your book is available, all good bookshops, uh, certainly as I saw it in, uh, in, in, in exclusive books. So thank you for your time and uh, keep writing. We, we need your voice on these issues. Thank you very much for the opportunity and wishing the listeners all the best. Go check out Milton Shane's new book uh, on anti-Semitism uh, and it is uh, it, it is a very uh, coming on the back of two other books which kind of do chronologically cover the issue of uh, anti-Semitism just in general and explain what it's about. And uh, if you want to get a copy of it, uh, you can you can get it from all available good bookstores. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, called Fascists, Fabricators and Fantasists. Anti-Semitism in South Africa from 1948 to the present by Jakarta Media. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is 101.9 High FM.